0: Okay, uh, a, a couple announcements before we dig into this, and that is this is our last Sunday of, of everyone together here in the sanctuary, everyone meaning the, the, uh, the BTI Bible Training Institute and uh, Fundamentals of the Faith FOF classes have been in here, and uh, next week those, the, uh, those classes will resume. And we will resume here also. We're going to continue the same topic of a biblical theology of giving. That topic is not going to change. And we're still going to have the same format. Those of you who have been group leaders uh, in here, I'm going to continue to call on you to be group leaders. And if we if we need a few more, I might uh, tap anybody else on the shoulder uh, to, to do that as well. So we, we'll have six more weeks of uh, a biblical theology of giving. Uh, those of you that are usually in uh, in here in this class so that's uh, that's what's happening uh, uh, beyond beyond this week so let's uh, let's go ahead and 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 start uh, let me open with a word of prayer and we'll get into the topic today let's pray Father we thank you for uh, this this day to come together to fellowship uh, help us in our understanding this morning as we continue to look at a biblical theology of giving. And we thank you for our time together in Jesus' name. Amen. My topic is giving and the will of God. Giving and the will of God. And in each of our studies on a biblical theology of giving, we've examined principles related to various aspects of giving. We've looked at modeling giving, was the, the very first lesson that we had. Uh, giving to meet human needs, giving with proper motives, giving to support our leaders, and God's specific plan for giving. And today it's going to be giving and the will of God. I want to look at a open up with a, a scripture, 1 Peter 4, verses 1 and 2, if you want to take a look at that with me. 1 Peter 4 verses 1 and 2. In, in, in chapter 3 of 1 Peter, Peter has already talked about the suffering of our Lord and how he suffered for us. And now in 1 Peter 4, verses 1 and 2, beginning with the word, "...since therefore," again, thinking back to Christ's suffering and what he just wrote about. So, "...since therefore Christ suffered in the flesh, arm yourself with, with the same way of thinking." For whoever has suffered in the flesh has ceased from sin, so as to live for the rest of the time in the flesh no longer for human passions, but for the will of God. And that's our topic is giving in the will of God and tying into that last uh, that last thought that we are living no longer in the flesh no longer for human passions but in the will of god and in terms of a biblical theology of of giving what what is the thing what are some of the things that keep us from giving and and probably the number one thing is human passions material possessions i want this and since i want this i can't give god this because how can, i don't have enough money to to do to to satisfy my human passions and give to God. And right now, my human passions supersede my love for God. And that's, of course, a big problem. A big problem. And Peter is, 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 reminded, is reminding of this, of this, to no longer rest in human passions, but we want to be in the will of God. And so we want to put things in right order. It's God's will that we put things in the right order. What is righteous above, uh, above these human passions, above idols in our lives? We're to live in the will of God. And we all desire that. Raise your hands if you don't want to be in the will of God. <laughs> we all do. We all want to be in his will. And so we're going to examine some principles of giving and the will of God. Yay. First principle, the way Christians use their material possessions is an important criterion for determining whether or not they're living in the will of God. And somebody can, uh, if somebody wants to be the, the, the slide monitor and let me know that, hey, the slide on the screen is not what you're talking about, feel free to raise your hand and say, time out, <laughs> get on the right page. <laughs> So, first principle the way Christians use their material possessions is an important criterion for determining whether or not they are living in the will of God. A test of living in God's will is the use of our material possessions. What do you do with your stuff? What do you do with your extra income? How do you plan to give to God? This is a test. This is a test if, if you're in God's will. Now, this principle leaps out from the first chapters of Acts, in Acts 2 through 6, in the early church. It's saturated with how the members of the early church used their material possessions for God's glory for each other in the early church. Uh, a study of the church over time demonstrates that the use of material possessions was not restricted to just those first couple of years It went on and on throughout the New Testament era. Scripture contains more teaching regarding our possessions and how we are to use them for the work of the Lord and for God's glory than any other aspect of Christian living, anything. And so we are to use our material possessions as a test for God's will in our life. Second principle. Christians should respond immediately to whatever portion of God's truth they have received. Respond immediately, quick to obey, quick to, op- to apply our teaching. This principle, of course, applies to all areas of our lives as Christians, but it applies very strongly in how we view and how we use our money and how we use our possessions. The believers in the first church in, at Jerusalem were expecting Christ to return soon and uh, restore Israel. Uh, their liberal giving was likely partly based on that expectancy of, of his return. But even more than that, they took the teaching of Christ very seriously. They took the teaching, the teaching of the apostles seriously. This was important business to them. and Their giving was a product of responding immediately with the knowledge that they had from from the Lord's teaching and from the Apostles' teaching. They didn't beat around the bush in terms of their response to the teaching. Uh, The urgency to use possessions for God's glory uh, felt by that early church sadly has waned over the centuries. We probably don't have the same urgency that they had, but we should. The the phrase eager to do what is good Which characterized the early church We don't really see that as much today And yet God's will for us Is to be eager to do what is good That hasn't changed So are we motivated to give While we still have the opportunity Before Christ comes To give So that we can In this case We're in the this is Commitment Sunday. We're hoping to raise money to have a bigger building, why? To expand the gospel message to more and more so that instead of cramming 250 or 300 feet 350 people in here that who are hearing the gospel and and what a joy it would be not just on Sunday but daily activities here to have a facility that would hold way more than that that the the gospel would go out to many many more people that we would have many many more ministries besides the ones that we have here we need we need that eagerness and i don't know about you but i don't if if the lord would come right now I would not want to stand before the Lord and say, well, you know, yeah, I had that $10,000 that I could have given, but, you know, I did want to buy that new car. Not that I needed it, but it was a, it was cool, and I wanted it. Yeah, I'm putting some heat on this, aren't I? <laughs> I wouldn't want to stand before the Lord and and have that type of, uh, excuse of why I wasn't giving, why, why I, I, I just wouldn't want that uh, to, to to have that happen. I know I'm not losing my salvation over that, but I want to know that I finished well in that area, even in my giving. And I guess I would want to have the attitude that my dad had. I wasn't uh, my 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 father was sort of weird in in some ways and, and one of the but one of the ways I really appreciated him was that uh, he he told me many times you know if if I die w- without a penny in my pocket, uh, that would be good, and he wanted to spend it on his children, he wanted to give it to me and he wanted to give it to my sister and he wanted to give it to my brother. Uh, the weird part is i I wish he would have wanted to give it to the Lord. <laughs> But that's And that's the part where I would find some... I would criti- uh, be a little bit critical, frankly, of my father. But the part that uh, I apply to myself in terms of my own view of giving is... If I'm penniless when it comes to my deathbed, but I've given everything that I... But, but I know I've done the right thing in terms of giving to the ministry of the work of the Lord, then... If I died penniless, penniless fine. <laughs> I'm happy with that. Look at the glory that I'm going to. <laughs> the, the mansion that I'm going to live in. The, the people that I'm going to be with. The Lord that I'm going to worship continually. There's no, What price can you put on that? So let's respond immediately to the teaching that we have. And we've had a lot of good teaching when it comes to to giving and a biblical theology of giving. A fourth principle, am I on the right slide, is to the truths that Jesus taught. Is that what it says? Okay. (laughs) The truths that Jesus taught about material possessions are normative and supercultural. There are those who believe that Jesus' teaching, particularly the Sermon on the Mount, are not applicable today, but only to the, uh, to the Messianic Kingdom, to uh, times ahead when Jesus will rule on earth. But the principles that Jesus taught transcend all cultures and all time periods. They're supracultural Jesus' principles were practiced by the New Testament church as well as the church in the centuries that followed, and there are no reasons that these principles should not be practiced in today's church and all over the world. Our fifth principle is Christians today should apply the principles as taught by Christ and modeled by New Testament Christians, utilizing forms and methods that are relevant in their own particular cultures. Just as, uh, we, as we've already examined, there are absolute principles in giving. However, there are not absolute forms and patterns or methods of giving. In Old Testament times, we can see the people bringing their, uh, their animals to, to the temple to be slaughtered, and, and the priests would then live off of the offerings, that uh, the grain offerings and the, and the animal offerings that were given to them. Besides monetary offerings as well and uh we we don't uh, we don't see a lot of you bringing uh, your chickens here necessarily or uh or, or corn out although i don't know there there was some there there have been oranges on the on the counter and lemons and grapefruit and things like that, which is great love that but uh, uh i don't i don't think Steve has been living off of grapefruit for the last uh, uh, the last few days. <laughs> and so we we do have that uh, uh that uh model that uh or way of giving that method I should say that method of giving but of course the typical method of giving today is we give of of our income or we uh, or we 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 sell our time we sell our time to our employer, and then we give that back to the church and that's the that's the method that we have today but there are uh, but there are all sorts of other methods of giving and uh uh Uh, Some of you, uh, even to give to what we're doing now, maybe even some of you may have sold something. You may have sold something so that you could give to what we're doing right now. And you certainly sold your time uh, via your employment. But there's also the danger of, uh, and and especially if you're not able to give, because if someone, you're in a terrible financial situation and suffering financially, and you just can't, you just can't give. Then a, a, another way to give is through your time, and so the use of your time is a is a an appropriate way to give. But that wouldn't apply to everyone because we're not all in that uh, that critical financial situation. And if we all, if that's all, any of us did, then how would we pay the rent? How would we? Uh, Pay Steve and Darren, and how would we pay the electricity bill, and so on and so forth? If we had 100 people show up on Saturday to clean the building, it would, it would be clean really, really fast. <laughs> um, but of course, uh, most of us would be standing around doing nothing. So, uh, donating our time is, is a good way to give to the Lord when we don't have uh, those means, but we also don't want that to be an excuse. Uh, for hanging on to material possessions uh, and say well i 'm giving of my time uh, because i re- really want my money for uh, uh, to pay all the debts that I have because of my huge credit card bills and because of of the mortgage that 's probably too big for what i really it, what really is appropriate and on and on and on again i 'm applying, uh, applying a little bit of heat here <laughs> that we need to make sure that we look at our own financial situation is it really do we have too much debt and then to use well I'm going to give my time so that I can service use my money to service all this debt that's not uh, that's not God's will that's not God's will that we would deal with our money that way for him In James chapter 4, James wrote in verses 13 to 17, Come now, you who say, today or tomorrow we will go into such and such a town and spend a year there and and, and trade and make a profit. Yet you do not know what tomorrow will bring. What is your life? For you are a mist that appears for a little time and then vanishes. Instead, you ought to say, if the Lord wills, we will live and do this or that. As it is, you boast in arrogance. You boast in your arrogance. All such boasting is evil. So whoever knows the right thing to do and fails to do it, for him it is sin. If you know the right thing to do and you fail to do it, it is sin. James wasn't saying it's wrong to plan ahead, but he is conveying some principles here, and these are the answers to some of your questions in your group in a few minutes, so if you've got a pencil, write these down if you want to know the answers. This is question number something. What are the three principles that James is conveying here? First, put God at the forefront of our planning. Planning. Don't get yourself so mired in debt that you can't give to the Lord. Plan. Plan your finances so that First, give to the Lord, and then what is left over to service that debt or to service whatever expenses that you have. But uh, important to plan our giving. Second, Second, realize that all we have come from the Lord. Everything that you have comes from him, period. And third, when our accomplishments do involve wealth, we should use it for the glory of God, and not to build a temporary kingdom for ourselves. Uh, again, verse sixteen: You boast in arrogance, boasting. There's something to boast about. They they have a, had some accomplishment. Maybe maybe have accumulated some wealth, and they boast about it. That it, that look what I did, not look what the Lord did. And boasting in the Lord instead of instead of instead of boasting in the Lord, they're boasting in themselves. And so third, whatever you have, have accumulated, whatever wealth you have, whatever God has blessed you with, then uh, do the right thing and using it for the glory of God and not just a temple to yourselves. A sixth principle is that all economic and financial planning should be done with a desire to be in the will of God in every respect. As you plan, hopefully you did carefully, careful planning leading up to this Sunday in determining what you're going to do in this campaign. And uh, not just this campaign, but going forward. Careful planning of your finances so that you can give a portion to the Lord and to his work. When you plan, you should have this question in mind. Our topic here, giving in the will of God. Are you living in the will of God in your planning and in your finances, in your planning. And James wasn't teaching that we can't proceed with confidence, but uh, he, he's really saying you can proceed with great confidence. Christians should be the most confident people in the world. For one thing, we have the hope of heaven. We know, we know who wins, Right? As we've heard MacArthur say many, many times, God wins. We know, the last, we know the last page of the story. We know where we're going to be when we die. Whether we die with a million dollars in the bank or a billion dollars in the bank or penniless. We know our eternity and it's in heaven. And in terms of, of finances and making hard decisions and planning our finances, do we have confidence in the Lord then Do we have confidence in the Lord with that? If we give away a pretty good chunk of change, do we have confidence that the Lord will provide, or are we afraid? If we're living in the will of God, there should be no fear. The Lord should lead you to what you're going to give as you plan. Let the Lord lead you in that, and have confidence that the Lord provides you can trust the Lord in good times and bad times, and we've all had struggles. And the Lord provides. And even if I die penniless, I know my hope is in heaven. In Second Corinthians eight seven, Paul wrote this. But as you excel in everything—in faith, and in speech, and knowledge, and in, in all earnestness. And our love for you. See that you excel in this act of grace also. And this act of grace, this act of grace that he's talking about is giving. That you excel in giving. And he spends much time with the Corinthians on spiritual gifts, but he also spends a lot of time on just what does it mean to be a Christian? What are the qualities? What are the characteristics of being in Christ? Yes, there are spiritual gifts that we have, but there are also qualities. And one of those qualities is that you give, that you contribute. Listen to this in Romans 12, the marks of a Christian. He's already gone through some of the spiritual gifts before this. And then in verse 9, he says, Let your love be genuine. This isn't a gift. This is everyone. Let your love be genuine. Abhor what is evil. Hold fast to what is good. Love one another with brotherly affection. Outdo one another in showing honor. Don't be slothful in zeal. Be fervent in spirit. Serve the Lord. All of you. This isn't a special gift. This is all of you serve. Rejoice in hope. Be patient in tribulation. Be constant in prayer. All of you. Verse 13. Contribute. Contribute to the needs of the saints and seek to show hospitality. Bless those who persecute you. And bless those and do not curse them. Bless and do not curse them. Rejoice with those who rejoice. Weep with those who weep. Live in harmony with one another. Don't be haughty, but associate with the lowly. Never be wise in your own sight. Repay no one evil for evil, but give thought to do what is honorable in the sight of all. Do the will of the Lord, all of you. Eighth principle, Christians should always be responsible and honest citizens in their own societies by paying all government taxes and revenues. Uh, we're citizens uh, of heaven, but we're also citizens of earth. We're here now, and we have a responsibility to maintain our society through our taxes. And a few of us, uh, maybe none of us, would debate that the scriptures direct us to obey the government I don't think there's going to be any argument on that, that we are to obey the government and pay our taxes. The problem here is honesty, to be honest. And in this case, honest with our government, the bigger picture is our honesty before the Lord in how we deal with our finances and our planning and our giving to the Lord. There are many ways you can cheat the government. Some Christians will fall prey to this behavior, a direct violation of God's will. And there's no room for rationalization here. You're either honest or you're dishonest. And the integrity and ethics of our our political leaders, that's not an excuse for dishonesty to cheat and to lie and to steal. And if we're withholding from the Lord, as, as Ananias and Sapphira did, there's no rationalization for that. It's a sin, and they died for it. 1 Corinthians 10 verses 11 and 12, Paul wrote. Now these things happened to them as an example, and he's talking. He's not talking about Ananias and Sapphira, <laughs> since I, since I just left off on that thought. He's talking about the the failures of the children of Israel in this passage. 1 Corinthians 10 11 and 12. Now these things happened to Israel, happened to them as an example, but they were written down for our instruction. On whom the end of the ages has come Therefore let anyone who thinks he stands take heed lest he fall The ninth principle God allows periodic persecution to help Christians put more emphasis on the spiritual and eternal dimensions of life Rather than on the material and the temporal You you may endure persecution for Christ You may suffer and not know why as Job suffered and didn't know why. And we might, God might allow us to be persecuted. And the purpose to guide us to refocus our purpose. And, and it might be to refocus our purpose and, and our, from the things of the world, as we initially read in First Peter. Our human passions to refocus from those material passions to the things of heaven. To that which is temporary, to that which is eternal. I think we all know that when life is good, no, no problems, everything's going well, uh, we, we get kind of materialistic. We have a materialistic mindset. and we need to be careful. We, we need to take heed lest we fall if we're too comfortable. We need to place the Word of God in its right place in our lives. and a lot of the, and, and all of the biblical principles that we've been studying over these past weeks that we put them in the rightful place in our lives that we, we practice a biblical, biblical theology of living that we put the word of God when it comes to finances in the right place. 1 John two uh, fifteen and 16, John wrote, Do not love the world or the things in the world. If anyone loves the world, the love of the Father is not in him. For all that is in the world, the desires of the flesh and the desires of, of the eyes and the pride of life, is not from the Father but it's from the world. The result of sin, the result of sin is to love what God created more than or rather than God himself. We have to be careful that we don't love the creation more than the creator. We we get on a slippery slope to worldliness and sinful behavior and material possessions uh, can be uh, enticing. Not that material possessions are bad in themselves, because God has placed nice things in our lives to enjoy. I, Trisha and I, absolutely love going to Yosemite, at least once and if we can do it as many times as we can during the course of the year but if we haven't gone at least once a year we just feel deprived I was going to say depraved but uh, and we would be depraved if we had the wrong attitude (laughs) towards going we would be depraved that's the danger that's what John is saying here you may feel deprived which could lead to depravity let the Lord provide for you The tenth principle, Christians must be on guard against establishing false distinctions between what is material and what is spiritual. There's nothing wrong with material possessions. The the wrong is the attitude that we have of holding too tightly to those material possessions, of basically withholding from the Lord's work that which he's given you to give to him, to, to, to be able to expand the gospel through what he's given you. In school, as I taught, if a student was having trouble with, with a, a particular topic, especially early on in the, in the semester when we'd just start, we were only a week or two in and I was noticing a student was struggling terribly, I would, I would uh, have a heart-to-heart with them and ask them, is this a matter of you can't do the work or is this a matter of you won't do the work We need to get to the bottom of this Because if you can't do it Then we need to find We need we need to bolster you up here We need, we need to give you the proper foundation So that you can do the work The attitude w- was good But the foundation wasn't there In terms of our giving Maybe we can't because financially we're just in, a, in an awful place right now. We, you, you, may, you may need the help from the church financially because of the, the, the place you're in, but it's temporary. It's temporary. And maybe you can't give, well, just like the student couldn't understand a word of what I was saying uh, in terms of uh, the mathematics that I was trying to teach them, but it wasn't a matter they didn't want to do it, The foundation wasn't there, and he was temporarily in a bad place, and we needed to bolster him up and get a proper foundation for learning. But the other attitude, can't or won't, is it just a matter of, I'm not going to do that. I've got this and this and this and this on my agenda of things to do before I die, and giving to a building campaign, or even regular and systematic and proportional giving weekly, that's not on my agenda because there are other things that I want to accumulate for myself. I won't give to the Lord. That's sin. That's not in God's will. But we've been commanded to give to the Lord's work. And so that's a hard question. Uh, can't or won't. And it is in God's word that we will have a proper view of our material possessions. The possessions are not bad in themselves, but what God has given them, we are to use them to his glory. We are to give regularly. We are to give systematically. We are to give proportionally. We should not be defensive when it comes to money. The most public thing you do in worship is give. Did you know that? The most public thing in worship is what you give. Because I don't know what your prayer life is like. How many people know what your prayer life is really like? Husbands, not even your wife really knows. Wives, not even your husbands really know what your attitude is when you go to prayer. You can pray out loud, but that's meaningless to really know your heart. Because you might just be beating your chest and saying, look at me, I, I, I have a nice prayer but you know, there are people, there are a minimum of four people in a church, at least four people in church, that know exactly what you give. There are people at the IRS that know exactly what you give. There are banks that know, uh, people that work in banks and have access to your records that have to uh, access them once in a while, that know exactly what you give. There are more people that know about your giving to the Lord than than any other uh, areas of your life in terms of your worship in terms of your your mental attitude when you hear the word of God the word of God preached in terms of your attitude when you pray in terms of your attitude when you sing praises to the Lord probably those are the most private things between you and the Lord cuz it's just you and the Lord but you know what your giving that's the most public part of your worship Which is something to consider. And not that I want to, uh, uh, to, cause, to cause this attitude, to cause an attitude of, Oh, everybody's watching then. I better do it. No, it's from the heart. What is the, How is the Lord speaking to you? And if you are in Christ, then hopefully we will be like the early church. And we will be eager, eager to do what is good. And that we will want to follow his commands and the teaching of the apostles to give, to contribute. To follow all those characteristics of what it means to be a Christian, including happily and cheerfully and joyfully giving to the Lord. And willing to sacrifice to that. That's the bottom line. Is to be totally happy and joyful to give as much as we possibly can. And when we have that kind of a joy, that kind of joy in our hearts, we know that we are living in the will of God, to be sure we are. Okay, I'm way over time, and you have two minutes to, to have groups. <laughs>